Welcome back once again to Entertainment Weekly, your source for all things sci-fi, fantasy, and awesome. I'm Darren Franich, and with me, as always, on the phone from his subterranean bunker, Entertainment Weekly's Jeff Jensen. Uh, hey, how are you, Darren? I'm, I'm doing great, Jeff. Uh, we have uh, a really exciting topic this week uh, that I know we both feel strongly about. I, I doubt there's anyone who considers themselves any sort of geek who doesn't feel strongly about this. Uh, DC has started to debut their uh, prequel series or their, their sort of like uh, several prequel series to the beloved uh, graphic novel classic Watchmen called Before Watchmen. Uh, this is something that was controversial right from the start. I mean, it, it's sort of Watchmen is sort of one of those untouchable projects that has been so widely perceived as a masterpiece for so long that I think right away the notion of going back into that world without, you know, anything close to uh, the the uh, goodwill of Alan Moore uh, in, in the project certainly got a lot of people talking. Um, what do you think about the issues that we've seen so far in the Before Watchmen project, though, Jeff? Yeah, really complicated subject here. Um, but um, what, if, if we're going to begin there, if, if, if the conversation ultimately begins with what do we think of these things as you know, units of entertainment. Did I, did I like these comics? Did I think they were good comics? Yes, we've seen um, the first two issues, uh, the, the, the number ones of two different series, Silk Spectre and The Minutemen, and uh, the, the, the guiding creative light be behind both of those books is a, is a fabulous, awesome uh, writer-artist named Darwin Cook. Um, and I really liked both of them. Um, as a as a longtime fan of Watchmen, for whom I kind of like, you know, hold on to that book, and that book is a, a really important part. That that story is a really important part of my geek upbringing as a teenager in the '80s. You know, there was probably only one big, like, you know, if they like, I was really always interested in the idea of a Minutemen series. That was a part of Watchmen lore that I would have loved to have seen more stories uh, uh, told about, and. Um, I always kind of hoped that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons would, would do it themselves. Um, but that, that was, I, I, I had a lot of curiosity, and I always thought that that would be a legitimate uh, launching off point for more Watchmen. I mean, I think that, and I, I'm a big admirer of Darwin Cook. So, um, so far, off to a good start. I love Darwin's storytelling, um, and, uh, and, and, and I love his art. And, uh, and, and, and the first issue worked for me. I was actually really surprised by Silk Spectre. Um, of all the books I was, of all the books I was probably not, I wasn't really looking forward to that one the most because I, I don't really think that Silk Spectre was, was the strongest character in Watchmen. I, in fact, I think that she was something of a fail um, in, in that book, um, in, in, in Alan Moore's original story. So I, I didn't really kind of want to read more about her and her relationship to her state, superhero stage mom and all that. But you know, you know, dang, if that issue is really good, I mean, like it's it's really well done. It kind of a very it evokes a, a, a you know Dave's art style and um, 
Um, I, I was really kind of galvanized by the story of this teenage girl who's going through a rebel period um, before she's going to ultimately embrace her destiny. I thought, I, thought, I thought it was really well done so far. Jeff, I'm, I'm so excited because I don't think I could disagree with you more on almost everything you you, 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 uh, you just said. Uh, well, no, right, I, we're going to let rumble. <laughs> let's, let's really kind of lay right into this. You know, we, we so often agree on so many things, but uh, that's not going to happen this week. No, you know, I, uh, I, I, I want to say, first of all, that Darwin Cook is an absolute genius, and I think that it, in no way can you characterize any part of the Before Watchmen project as some sort of, like, hack job just done for the money. There are so many very talented people involved. So, some of the best, uh, you know, writers and artists in the comic book scene right now are, are involved in this, and, you know, you know coming up, uh, J. Michael Straczynski is going to be working on Dr. Manhattan, and, uh, but I... Uh, in, in reading Minutemen and Silk Spectre, uh, what struck me was that as entertaining as they could be, I, I felt a certain emptiness to them. And I, I want to actually focus on, on the Silk Spectre issue because uh, I actually really feel like Silk Spectre, or, or Laurie, as she's really known in Watchmen, is one of the most interesting and I think sort of important characters in the, in the original series. Uh, if anything, like the sort of lack of Zack Snyder's inability to translate her in, into the movie, I, I think is one of the real reasons why the movie version of Watchmen failed. Because there's something about her that even more so than the typical, you know, late 80s deconstructive superhero. She's very world-weary in a way that doesn't feel... Um it it, it it doesn't feel stylized to me. She just kind of seems like someone who's genuinely lived through this whole kind of inverted history of superherodom and is a, a little bit perturbed by it. Um, but at the same time, I, I think she really gives the books a lot of their heart. And it, it may just be because she's sort of the one character who is not... You know, she's not like Night Owl, where she was ever openly trying to be a hero, and she's not like Dr. Manhattan, where she's just kind of operating on a different level. If anything, she is sort of the every person of the books. And so what strikes me about Silk Spectre in particular is that they've chosen to focus on a much younger version of the character. And, you know, like, like all prequels, you know, going back to the story of Superboy, th th this is the tale of Silk Spectre, you know, when, when she was, like, still a child. And so we're already kind of, to me, there's already the sense of this project that, well, you know, you aren't focusing on the most interesting part of her life because we already saw that with Watchmen. So all you can kind of do is attempt to add some energy and excitement to this earlier part of her life. And it sort of feels to me like... What they've done is taken a character who lived and breathed as this really sort of interesting three-dimensional human being and almost kind of turned her into a Buffy type of character, which is not bad by any means, but there's a sense of like, well, let's make her, you know, she's, she's a young, spunky kid and she's kind of growing up in this very vaguely defined 70s era. And I, I, I don't know, something about my moment-to-moment -moment enjoyment of the book couldn't erase the fact that I, I wasn't quite sure why I should care, for, for lack of a, of a better word. And I think that's kind of my reaction to this whole project is, you know, Watchmen was not just the, you know, one of the best stories in comic book history. It was a story very much about comic book history and about sort of the whole notion of superheroes. And so... Okay, can I pause you right there, though, Darren? Absolutely. Pause away. I hear what you're saying, um, but... That's uh, uh, like, uh, and I hear what you're saying. In fact, there's probably a, a lot there that I, I might agree with, but that's not 
where we chose to begin the conversation. You asked what I thought of these things as comics, you know, as sort of individual units of entertainment. And I don't really kind of feel that you've criticized our, uh, the books as do they work unto themselves as sort of like, you know, like you've criticized them in the larger context of the, the, the whole Watchmen thing. And that's an extremely important thing that we should discuss. But I'm, but if you're asking me purely to come from it in terms of like, for example, put it, put another way, Darren, like, do I think these are cool Darwin cook comics? I would say yes. You know, like Minutemen is an extremely well-drawn, well-written Darwin Cook book, you know, and that happens to use characters that were originally created by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Um, I was extremely entertained. They're handsome. They're polished. They're very thoughtful. They're, you know, the first issue, like, did what I want a first issue to do. Ditto, um, Silk Spectre, um, I, which I got to say, just to pull back a little bit, completely disagree with the Buffy analog. Like that, that is like, that is like, you're just wrong. So, I mean, like, I don't know, like, it's clearly we're being set up with a story of a, of, of a classic 60s, late 60s era teenage rebel kind of uh, a, a story about a girl who has certain expectations voiced on her by her parents and is going to go through a period of rebelling against them. And that's exactly the story that they're going to tell, it seems to me. I, I don't really kind of get the Buffy of at all. Um, if, if you're going to criticize the character for being a Buffy analog, well, she was always Buffy. You know, I mean, that was always her thing. She was the teenage superhero girl that had to grow up against that backdrop and, 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 and deal with that stuff. So this is all to say, as comics, as Darwin Cook comics, I liked them. I, 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 I liked them. But if we now want to move the, the conversation into now let's look at them through the prism of whether or not they should have ever been made or, um, or, or how they compare to uh, how, how we feel about them in relationship to the original, to, 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 the, to, to Watchmen, that for me is a different conversation. You know what I mean? I, now, I, and I know what you're going to say, which is you're going to say, for you, it's inseparable. Like, you can't separate it, and that's completely valid, but I, but I can. <laughs> you know, the, I, I, I want to say, I, I don't think that that's entirely true, and, and I, I don't want to come off here like someone who, first and foremost, I don't want to sound like I'm saying there are certain things that should not be, because that's just silly. I mean, especially in the modern day, so many of the most interesting pieces of entertainment are based directly on, you know, stories that have come before, which is not to even mention the fact that many of the most entertaining stories ever written are based on stories that have come before. That's going all the way back to, I mean, you know, the, the, the notion that there are only seven basic stories, I, I certainly agree with. For me, the difficult thing with at least these first two issues is not that they somehow fail to live up to either what Watchmen was or my own, you know, very idealized vision of what Watchmen is. My problem is that they both draw so completely, both stylistically and narratively, on Watchmen itself. I mean, the, the Minutemen story literally sort of feels like someone took that first awesome interstitial segment taken from the original Night Owl's biography and, and, and added in pictures. And yet what it's done is 
take that story and remove a lot of what I think made it interesting. And now that's not to say that, you know, these stories do function very well as entertaining comic books. And and I I think that, you know, that is certainly something that they've achieved. But I'm so struck by the sense of a lack of ambition behind these comics. And and, and I, I think that it's difficult... And, 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 but, 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 Darren, I mean, like, can we add some caveats here? Sure. Uh, we've only read the first issue mm-hmm. of, of, of each comic. Um, you know, so I think Silk Spectre is going to be a four-issue series, and I think that Minutemen is a six-issue series. Um, the first we've only read the first issue, so I, I like it's hard for me um, to engage in the and uh, and 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 to agree or disagree. To be mm-hmm. fair to you, mm-hmm. um, with 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 a characterization of their ambition, um, I would say though that you know you you dismiss Minutemen as merely a sort of extrapolation of the interstitial about the Minutemen from uh, one of the issues of Watchmen, to which I would say, and the problem with that is, <laughs> I mean, like, like well, as I said before, and, uh, like, I, I don't see a problem with that, especially since, to my knowledge, for years and years and years and years, hardcore Watchmen fans that have been open to the idea of more Watchmen as long as it was written by Alan Moore and, done, and drawn by Dave Gibbons would have been completely fine if they went and did that with the Minutemen. You know what I mean? Like, so, uh, the, the, uh, I, I kind of bust on that a little bit. Can, can I just, before you respond, can we just add one bit of housekeeping here? Yes. Which is, we've been talking about Silk Spectre, and I've been talking about Silk Spectre as being exclusively the, the product, uh, the work of Darwin Cook. On that book, he is collaborating with the artist uh, um, uh, Amanda Connor, who is drawing and co-plotting it. So I just want to kind of like clarify that and give credit, or in your case, discredit where credit discredit is due. No, no, no. I, uh, you know, I, I, I worry that I am being characterized or perhaps characterizing myself as too much in the kind of grouch coalition, which, which mm. is, is certainly not what I would want. But I, I, I am just... Uh, it, it, it feels to me like, you know, this, this before Watchmen series, it, it certainly is geared towards people who've read Watchmen. I, I, I think it's, it's fair to, to agree on that, right? I mean, it's called Before Watchmen. It draws very much on what you're describing as this notion of what if we could dive deeper into the stories that we just sort of barely explored in the original series. So I, I think it's fair to approach this in much the same way that, that, say, a fan of the original Star Warses would approach the Star Wars prequels. I mean, uh, and from from that perspective, I, I think it's fair to at least ascribe a certain amount of Alan Moore, uh, Dave Gibbon, Watchmen-ness to these comics, even though clearly they're trying to be something a little bit different. And so even, uh, you know, to sort of respond to something you said a little bit earlier, um, you know, on one hand, yes, it's absolutely unfair to attempt to characterize the ambitions of a series that is only 
about you know a quarter of the way through or a sixth of the way through. On the other hand, if you compare the first issue of any of these series to the first issue of Watchmen, I think that that first issue of Watchmen, you know, you're 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 immediately drawn into a whole series of characters who, some of whom are archetypes you've seen before, some of whom aren't. You're suddenly made aware of an entirely new shadow history. There's a huge amount of narrative that you're given, a huge amount of even sort of like, like thematic stuff you're given. So I, I, I guess that it's difficult for me having having just paid you know four dollars for a single issue of Silk Spectre to feel like I'm getting even close to the same sense of 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 of, of narrative breadth or character depth. So now, you're saying then that it's a fair expectation then that if they're going to make anything like Before Watchmen, whether it was Alan Moore doing it or not, that the only way these these books could succeed or even be uh, 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 you know uh, be de- described as, as as quality comics or satisfying comics is that if they matched, if not surpassed, the brilliance of the first chapter of arguably the greatest comic book story ever told. I mean, I mean that you're, you're, it seems to me that you're, you're like, that's an extremely high standard. I, I, I guess I never expected before Watchmen to be as good as Watchmen. If we are going to say this series had to be as good as Watchmen in order to be de- deemed good, that, uh, absolutely, then we are 100% in agreement. They suck. <laughs> I mean, like, like I dismissed them. They are bad comics. Bad comics. Bad before Bad Watchmen. comics. Bad. Um, Failed comics. Like, I never expected them to, to be as good as the first issue of Watchmen. Um, I don't expect most comics to be as good as the first issue of Watchmen. I never have that standard. Um, so, like, I, I'm... Uh, uh, I got, but I think they achieve a level of quality that I was perfectly satisfied by and, 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 and entertained by. That, and, and that's that's totally fair. And uh, again, I, I I worry that I'm being cast too much in the bad comics, <laughs> bad comics Grouch, side here. You okay. are playing the role of Grouch. All right, well then, don't run away from it. Darren, the only way you can agree, win this argument, I think, is if you if you just own the Grouchiness. Okay. Come on, move into it. All right then, Jeff. You I are, will... This is a sacrilege. This is heresy. It should never have been done. These people are evil for making it. Just, just come on. Jeff, 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 I am, I am the keeper of, of the Alan Moore flame, and on, only I can rescue his legacy from the <laughs> horrors of modern corporate, uh, of, of, of the modern corporation. Well, you know, on that note, I will just say that my main complaint about th- what I've seen so far of Watchmen, and, and this includes, we had a really interesting exclusive of The Comedian, which you wrote about uh, earlier this week, which where we see him playing football with the Kennedys and apparently promising to assassinate Marilyn Monroe for Jackie Kennedy, which is, is certainly the most exciting uh, cutscene from, from, from JFK that didn't make the, uh, the DVD. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think that... I don't have any problem with people taking characters created by other people and reusing them. I mean, that that is certainly the core of some of the greatest comic books ever ever written. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's not as if you know superhero history should have ended with Schuster and uh, and Siegel and, and Kirby. That, that that's just ludicrous. But what I am struck by in what we've seen so far is that much like the Watchmen movie. There's not a sense here that they're adding anything new. 
you know, they're they're sort of like digging in. They're they're you know creating the uh, you know I I I used to love my book uh, Star Wars, the essential guide to you know to vehicles and weapons. I used to love paging through that and learning all about you know the difference between a Tie fighter and a Tie interceptor and Darth Vader's Tie fighter and all that stuff. And I I I'd certainly. You know, if, if all that they're going for is creating the, you know, the, the Silmarillion extended appendix to Watchmen, mm. then they're certainly succeeding. But just as a sort of counterbalance, Alan Moore, you know, who I, I think likes to put out or at least has this sort of re- reputation as, you know, Mr. Purity and Mr. Artist, his whole career is based on taking characters who were created before. I mean, even the original Watchmen were based on, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the name, but the, I think it was, it was maybe Carlton or Charlton, some, right. some subset of comics that, that DC purchased. But... Look what he did with those characters. You know, look at the story that he came up with. Look how he captured not just what what oddly enough these books and the movie both focus on. He didn't just create this sort of really cool retro alternate history, although Watchmen certainly did that. He constructed a really tragic, very interesting just story that felt very keyed into, you know, what was going on at the time. So much so that you could argue that Watchmen feels very out of date now because it's such a weird kind of like Cold War-ish, uh, you know, sort of storyline. And yeah. I'm, I'm struck by these feel so nostalgic. And it's something that I, I think is very common to a lot of retellings of superhero stories now. It feels more like it's conjuring up, you know, the feeling of a past generation more than it's really plugging these interesting characters into something that could be a little new and different. Now... Uh, you've actually kind of moved the conversation into an area of, of, of uh, that, that I actually feel like I can meet you that. I mean, like, I think I moved the conversation I, into, an, into an area where I could win the argument, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because, look, I, 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 you're arguing from a perspective that I feel is really valid, and it's a perspective that I, 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 um, I, I have about a lot of the things that I enjoy. And like, you know, if, if you're going to remake a Batman movie, if you're going to make a new Batman movies, I, I, I want a Batman movie that is told from a point of view of an artist and an intelligence that's going to bring that to life in an interesting new way. And that's why I love the Christopher Nolan movies, right? Um, and I, we, we've talked about this on, this on this podcast before. Like, that's what I really like. I'm not necessarily a superhero genre fan. Like, what I'm really interested in is, like, what an artist can do with a, with a piece of material and make it their own and bring their own unique sensibility ability to that um, and sort of bring it to life in a new, fresh, and different way. Um, to that end, if we were to apply that kind of perspective to Before Watchmen based on the two issues and five pages that we've read so far. <laughs> based, on um, the, based on the 0.1% of the project that we've experienced so far. Yes. Um, based on that, I, like, I, I think that, that, that I, I agree. What we are clearly work, uh, dealing with here is um, a group of very talented creators who happen to be clearly huge fans of Watchmen, huge fans of this world, um, who wanted to enter into this world and expand it and tell more stories and blow. And, and, and whether we they feel familiar to us or not, whether they feel totally new or not, but they kind of wanted to play within the Watchmen playground and expand the boundaries. But I but today aren't necessarily 
like um, uh, bringing their own kind of uh, like a provocative spin. Like with that said, like I feel I, I feel and sense Darwin Cook all over the Minutemen. You know, on those first five pages of the Comedian, I feel and sense you know Brian Azzarello all over that book. You know, like but at the same time. Um, they feel very much still within Watchmen. You know, I and and so I I, I hear what I, you know. If that's the expectation, if, if, if that that you had and and you wanted, I, I I can't quibble with that. Like I don't feel it's a strong enough argument for me to so far like 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 come down from my opinion and my high estimation so far of these books. But I I, I see your point. I yeah um I, I I one of the most interesting things about this whole project and one reason why I think it has caused intense debate although it's only intense to the extent that there are douchebags like me who are angry about it and there's everyone else like you who's like just calm down and, and read the dang thing uh, is that I, I, I think what you just mentioned there Jeff was this, this notion of Watchmen as being a playground and, and being sort of a world that needs exploring. And this is one of the most interesting aspects of a lot of modern day franchise, you know, multimedia jumping from comic books to books to TV shows to movie storytelling is this notion of, you know, how do we get people to come and live in this world in a 360 degree environment? You know, like how do we keep exploring every little corner of this fantasy universe in movie form and in book form? And the the most the reason why I think that the notion of exploring the Watchmen world has stirred up so much debate is that to me Watchmen is first and foremost a story. It's and when you read the original Watchmen, at least I didn't you know walk away from there feeling like you know I, I had to know more about you know the past of these characters or that I had to know more about this world. I remember. I read Watchmen for the first time when I was a kid. I stayed up really late because I just I, I couldn't put it down. And at the end of it, I just remember feeling like, wow, like I, I've just read a great story. And, and more than anything, I've just read the great story of this world that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons in, in, in invented. And so it, it, it's the whole notion of this feels to me as if, well, okay, so you've read the important story, but now let's talk about some of the other fun stuff. And that's that's totally okay, but it, it all feels a little bit besides the point to me, ultimately. And it's, it's difficult for me to set that aside, as much fun as it is to be like, you know, oh, sure, like, Eddie Blake killed Marilyn Monroe, and it's it's all fun, but I, I just, I, 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 I wish that any combination of, 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 the, of the brilliant collaborators working on this project could have been given the go-ahead to make the next Watchmen instead of sure. playing in, in in the same old Watchmen playground. But Yeah, a couple things about that. It reminds me a little bit of the, the, the Alan Moore and Frank Miller kind of criticism of what came after the double whammy of Watchmen and the Dark Knight, um, how they bemoaned the trend toward grim and gritty uh, comics in the main, in mainstream superhero comics that was oftentimes attributed exclusively to Watchmen and the Dark Knight. Um, and this sort of feeling that they had was... Uh, can't, shouldn't the legacy of these of our of our respective books be that we try to do something new, something innovative, um, something that was you know artistically driven, um, and 
and shouldn't the legacy, it would, it would be a better legacy if like what happened is that the, is that the comic book industry like, like supported um, innovation and, and supported kind of um, uh, artists kind of taking chances on, on, on their own stuff, you know. And, and by the way, that's not to say that the comic book industry never did that or didn't do that. They did. But I think when they kind of like, like just in broad strokes, I think that they had hoped that maybe they had done more of that. Absolutely. Well, and, 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 so, and so I think that, like, um, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, I, you know, like, uh, you, you kind of wish that, you know, we're seeing some of the great, you know, some really great creative pairings, some great creative teams on, on these books. And, yeah, there is that part of me of, like, wow, it'd be great if they kind of, like, expended all their creative energy on doing something else we might ask the question though why aren't they why can't they what is the state of the comic book industry today that dc can't afford to to uh, pursue maybe the creative or business strategy that we want is it is it just greed or lack of imagination or is there something about the comic book retail marketplace um that like is uh forcing these 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 companies to um you know, just basically double down, triple down, quadruple down on big brands and established franchises in order to to, to stay afloat. Well, and, and, um, and what you're bringing up is so interesting, and we're sort of getting in here to territory where I would imagine our listeners know more about the history than you or I do. But, but certainly, if we're talking about Watchmen and the Dark, uh, um, the Dark Knight Returns, you know, they were coming out in the mid to late 80s, a time when the comics industry looked very different than it does today. This, this was before, you know, the, the, the early 90s boom and then bust, and, you know, long before the industry sort of almost shifted its business model a little bit away from, uh, you know, at, at this point, there's the argument that the comic book industry is much more about, you know, the kind of maintenance of these brands that have such a lucrative presence in other media than they are necessarily the uh, the, the originators of that of, of that media, but I, I that maybe is more than anything the interesting thing about before Watchmen is the sense that you know Watchmen, which came out you know close closing in on three decades ago now, sort of felt like it was almost like you know the the, the movie industry in the in, in the nineteen seventies you know we're going to give these very uh, inventive writers and artists the opportunity to just kind of go buck wild and with this there's just that slight sense of we'll give equally you know perhaps equally talented writers and artists the chance to have their fun but it must be within a brand that 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 already exists you know within the sort of confines of a, of a name that will instantly get google clicks or, or, or something like that so maybe maybe really what i'm what i'm bemoaning is just the entire modern age which is really the most the most boring argument possible <laughs> No, I, I mean, like, uh, I, I have a lot of sympathy for you. You know, I'm a little older than you, and so, and I, and I came to Watchmen differently than you. Um, for me, um, Watchmen is not a graphic novel. In fact, when you called it a graphic novel at the beginning of this conversation, I wanted to reach through the phone and slap you across the face. <laughs> because Watchmen is not a graphic novel. It was a series of comics. It was a maxi-series. And that a maxi-series? A maxi-series. Oh, and, and it has been collected into a form that most people these days talk about as a graphic novel. But 
this comic book existed first and foremost as a flimsy periodical. It was a series of comics that was released once a month, uh, once every other month as they were sort of getting behind schedule toward the end of the cycle. But this comic book, Darren, was a reason to come into the comic book shop every single month. You had these two titanic creative people working at the height of their at least mainstream superhero powers, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. And they were, they were creating magic every month during a time, during a decade, when a lot of magic was being produced every month. Because this was a, a wonderful renaissance period of comic books in which comic book publishers that had completely retreated from sort of newsstand distribution um, where they were regulated by the comics code, now completely retreated almost exclusively into comic book shops where they no longer had to be regulated and now can sort of like take advantage of, um, of sort of like a relaxed standards and um, uh, moral standards. It kind of reminds me a little bit of what happened in the movie industry in the 60s after the production codes and, and so, sort of those very moralistic codes that, were, that the Hollywood had to work under, you know, were, were finally tossed aside and you saw a lot of like revolution and innovation and edginess in adult movies. And I mean that in the best possible way, um, like came to the fore, uh, were produced in the late 60s throughout the 70s. This is what you saw in comics in the 80s as or publishers produced uh, pursued innovation. And so there were a lot of wonderful comics being made like every month. And Watchmen was one of them. The Dark Knight was one of them. And Howard Chicken's American Flag was one of them. And the Brothers Hernandez was uh, Love and Rockets. You know, I, we, we can go on and on and on. There was, it was just an amazing time to go to the comic book shop every single week and pick up these books. And that's a huge reason why, you know, comic books have an adult following today is because people who came of age in the 80s on comics when they were, were, were shooting over teenage heads and were, were pursuing something that we might be called adult. Like, you know, it, g- it gave a reason for these kids to not give up comics at 18 years old. They gave a reason to, for, for kids to continue reading comics as they grow older. And so it's all to say, a watchman for me represents a time um, that in, in which the, the, the monthly comic book marketplace was exciting and booming with creativity and, 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 and lots of entertainment. And, um, you know, I got to say, there is that nostalgic part of me that, that uh, and I, I'm not saying that this is a virtue at all, Darren, but like, like, you know, that is maybe drawn to before Watchmen because it's an attempt to recreate that magic, you know, mm-hmm. it's an attempt to create, to turn the, the comic book shop into an exciting place maybe even a controversial place, um, an electrifying place, a place that's going to stir some passion, but, but gets you going every month to kind of like buy and read and weigh in and love and hate um, and, and, and to engage. Like, uh, like if, 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 if before Watchmen can succeed in any way, in, in just one way, um, you know, I'd love it if it's a, it a massive creative success. If it gets people into comic book shops just to buy it and hate the crap out of it, <laughs> but, but, but to get people into comic comic shops to buy that and buy some other things and like put their money where their mouth is and say, "I reject the values of franchise entertainment. I 
chance on five new comics this month instead of buying that piece of crap before Watchmen thing. Awesome, you know. And then they'll probably buy before Watchmen too. Right, right, right. Well, you know, you know, just because they want to know, you know, they want to be in on the conversation. No, I, I, I hear everything you're saying. Most of all, the kind of nostalgia for the comic book shop experience. Uh, and, and you, you know, I think we should point out here, Jeff, that neither of us is saying that you know the the late '80s was the be all and end all of comic book history. Nor are we saying that that was the last time the industry supported great comics. I mean, certainly, agreed like everything yeah. everything coming out of Vertigo in, in the '90s uh, up through today is so interesting, and that's entirely you know a, a very corporate sponsored uh, medium. I. Uh, I I, I, I guess that uh, the, the most like the, the most the most interesting thing about Before Watchmen to me is that we've sort of wound up talking a little bit more about everything sort of around the, the comic books, and it'll be interesting to see if. Once you kind of get past that initial controversy you're talking about, that sort of like grasping need to see it and hate it or love it or have an opinion for it, I'll be very interested to see if any of the series actually manage to be within themselves as interesting, as controversial, as just kind of flat out thrilling as those comic books that, that you were describing. Right yeah. now, I, I don't think that that's possible. But again, that's, that's, my yeah. very, that's my very early, you know, two years before the election. I'm calling who's going to win, uh, you know, theory about about these books. <laughs> right. And, Darren, let me be very fair to this whole argument, and I'm kind of like, you know, uh, which, which is this. I, I am very sensitive, actually, um, uh, to, the, to, to what you said about um, the whole notion of does Watchmen have to be another creative playground for more storytelling? Does it have to be a franchise? Can't some things just be sacred? I, I can't say that I, I never feel that kind of feeling about anything. Um, uh, I know that I would completely reject anyone that tried to make, you know, more, more and tell more stories about, you know, within the Citizen Kane world or the Blue <laughs> Velvet world or the 2001 A Space Odyssey world. You but know? Jeff, um, but Jeff, what happened to Charles Foster Kane between the time he was taken away from his home and then took over the newspaper? I mean, think of, think of, think of the possibilities. <laughs> um, but look, so I and. and, and and yeah, Watchmen is sacred. I, I, I like. I, I do feel that. You know, that is an important book. I mean, for a lot of people who, and it's going to sound crazy to people, but for a lot of whom, for for a lot of people for whom, in the eighties, like like comics and that great renaissance period was the closest thing that we'll have. I mean, that was my punk rock, you know, that was my, you know, sixties British invasion. Um, that was my kind of like, you know, creative outlet through which I kind of experienced and rebelled and, 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 and brought and expanded my mind, you know, Watchmen is pretty sacred that way. I'm not, you know, so I, I have that emotional attachment to it. And I also really am sensitive to, and we haven't really tackled this because probably neither of us feel so um, knowledgeable and expert enough to really talk about this. But there is this Alan Moore of it all, right? And we all know that Alan Moore ha 
has had issues with DC Comics over the years. Oh, Alan and, Moore has had issues. He he, yes. he, he has indeed. I think at, at, at this point, there may be a generation that only knows him more for the issues he's had with DC than anything he's actually produced, uh, unfortunately. And if we even know what those issues are, or if we really <laughs> even know the truth of them all, that's what I kind of like, you know, like, but we kind of associate like his issues with DC, with issues that are very, very real to the history of comics. Issues like, like, do we treat our artists fairly? Do we give them control of their work? Do we pay them what they should? You know, are they paid what they really truly deserve, the full value of their work? How involved are they in the extrapolation of their work commercially and creatively, like, you know, like I'm not, you know, um, oh, yeah, Alan, sure. Moore's, Alan Moore's issues with DC, I think, are more are broader, more profound than that, but they seem to sort of, um, but whatever issues that they ha- he had with DC back in the day, certainly, like, uh, like c- were seen from the outside looking in um, uh, to be part of that sort of broader area of concerns that any serious comic book fan should be concerned about. They really should. Exactly I mean, right. Well, and, and, and you know, uh, I, I know j- just a little bit uh, more of of his of, of his sort of history because I've always been fascinated by him. But but the, the nutshell is you're exactly right, Jeff. I mean, here was someone who worked very much within the confines of you know the kind of big two. He you know he he worked at v- many different levels of DC Comics in the '80s, and then really became caught up in this sort of expanded notion of the role of the creator and this notion that you know the you know the names of people who write these comics should be more important you know they they gone was the time that they could just be the minor functionaries and you know the the jack kirby's who would spend decades complaining that they didn't get their rights so he then got caught up in the image comics wave of 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 the 90s which you know is when a bunch of very talented and very popular uh, you know, artists who worked at DC and Marvel decided to go and found their own comic books, many of which, this being the early 90s, involved cyborgs with names like Kill Blade and Death Kill <laughs> and Wildcats and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, just uh, later on, Alan Moore, briefly, I, I think it was 1999, founded his own sort of line of comic books. And if I recall correctly, he was writing four or five comics per month. It was really sort of fantastic. There was you know, yeah. Tom, Tom Strong was this sort of really wonderful, almost Doc Savage retro adventurer. And Top Ten was this really kind of cool, noirish detective series set in a world where everyone had superpowers. And, mo- you know, certainly the most famous batch of uh, America's best comics was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where he took many of the most famous characters from British literature of the the late uh, 19th century and sort of recast them as a sort of Victorian-era super team. Then America's best comics was bought out or as 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 part of an overall deal became a part of DC again, and that sort of got his ire up. And so I, 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 I do think that Maybe that, more than anything, is why before Watchmen has stirred up this controversy, more so even than, you know, if they were to revisit the world of Dark Knight Returns or, uh, you know, the world of... 
you know, Garth Ennis's preacher or something like that. There is this sort of sense of, you know, this is the evil corporation yet again crushing the, you know, kind of Kafka-esque, you know, superhero. And, you know, Alan Moore certainly plays that role very well with his, you know, gigantic wizard's beard and his, you know, curious ability to only appear every every five years or so. Um, I, I, I do agree. I do agree with you. I mean, I think that for a lot of people who are um, prone to re, to have a hostile feelings toward, toward Before Watchmen, um, their, their attitude about, about Before Watchmen is, is bound up in what Alan Moore personally means to them. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and some of the longstanding and very, very, um, you know, touchy and, and legitimate issues that, that, that he represents in the comic book industry. And I, I know many, you know, industry professionals, um, you know, you know, comic book artists and writers who like, um, are aghast by the very notion of, 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 of before a watchman. And it's because either a, um, they're very. Lo- they, they were raised on Alan Moore comics, and they feel very loyal to, to, to that. Or, or B, just because of the, the the business issues of it all that it represents. And um, I, I cannot, I cannot fault that perspective. Well, and, and and now this this brings us, Jeff, to I think a really interesting final beat of this story. Uh, you know, for, for our listeners, we were already sort of planning on discussing before Watchmen, uh, and then earlier this week. Um, it, it, it was revealed in a very kind of complicated way that Alan Moore is finally going to be releasing the third volume of his current narrative arc set within the world of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, this is the third volume. I mean, Jeff, this, this, this is a story that I think has been very slow coming. If I recall correctly, it was, the first part was released about three years ago. The second part was released last year. The final part purportedly is coming out sometime this summer, although there may be lawsuits, because uh, according to the critic uh, Laura Sneddon, of London's The Independent, who, as far as as far as we can all tell, is the only person who's gotten to look at this final volume of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, a very prominent character in this uh, issue is someone who is very clearly meant to be Harry Potter, and that character is, in Alan Moore's universe, the Antichrist. And if we're to believe her review, the character is meant to sort of represent many of the issues that we're talking about. This notion of sort of relentlessly franchisable stories and this sort of notion very central to Alan Moore's universe of, you know, have has corporations sort of betrayed storytelling? What's happened to narrative in this era? It certainly adds an interesting... Um, you know, spin to a lot of what we're talking about with Before Watchmen, not in the least because Harry Potter, of course, the movies were produced by Warner Brothers, which is the same parent company of DC, and also of this very podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed nervously. Ha 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 ha, he said, waiting, waiting to be fired. Um, what, do you, what do you make of, and we, we, should, we should say again that, Jeff, neither you nor I nor anyone on these American shores has read this issue yet. What, what do you make of uh, this, This um, I was going to say reinvention, which isn't entirely true. What, what do you make of this latest uh, st- uh, uh, chapter? The prospect of this whole thing? Yes, exactly. 
Well, I'm extremely intrigued. I mean, like, you know, based on what, how it's been written about, at the very least, regardless of what the truth is, like, okay, like, Harry Potter's the Antichrist, and, and if, you've, if you've been following Alan Moore's uh, uh, storyline here, in, in, uh, which is called Century, um, and takes place during three different years uh, over a 100-year span. Yes, 1910, um, 1969, and this last one is 2009, right. I believe. So... And it's basically, you know, involves our heroes, you know, trying to subvert a plot over time to uh, to stop this this demonic entity who keeps on sort of like transplanting his soul or mind in different bodies um, from uh, from from giving rise to the Antichrist and the possibility that the Antichrist could be this sort of like, um, you know, Harry Potter archetype is fascinating. I, I, I'm there. And we should, we should say that, like, I'd be stunned if Warner Brothers or, um, or, or, or DC Comics tried to stop this. Um, um, because, I mean, if, if they're going to try to stop it now, then they were certainly asleep at the wheel uh, a year ago when um, the second volume came out in 1969, um, uh, the second volume, comma, called the 1969, um, came out, and the whole end of that story involved a character that we ultimately know to be young Voldemort, um, essentially um, um, sexually molesting, like, the, the heroine and, uh, and, 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 get, and, and becoming imbued with the, with the, with the de- demonic entity and then disappearing into, uh, you know, platform nine and three quarters on his way to Hogwarts. So, I mean, like, this has been telegraphed for, for more than a year. Um, and, it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it makes sense. I mean, like, you know, in terms of kind of like, you know, Alan Moore's larger kind of what, what, what he's doing with these books, um, kind of like just swallowing up and, and grabbing everything that he can, all, all these sort of great sort of like, you know, literary characters and comic book characters and movie characters and um, television characters from, from, from British science fiction and fantasy and, 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 and literature and kind of like turning it into this like uh, tapestry of alternative history. It just it makes sense that he would, he would tackle Harry Potter in a, in a great way. I'm very interested. I can't wait to see... Um, where he's going with this. You and I have different opinions about the quality of these three books, of, 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 this, of, of this series. Like, I feel like this has been, I, I don't necessarily, like, I feel like I've talked myself into liking the first two volumes. They are very dense. They're very dark. They're very up Alan Moore's own arse. Um, <laughs> and, like, I feel like it's not necessarily League at its most accessible, more as, uh, as, as, as most accessible. I, 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 I don't necessarily think it's top-notch more, but middling more is, you, is, 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 is everyone else's brilliance. So, like, but look, I, I, I feel like I, it's, it's been hard for me to get into it. Um, and, and, in fact, I've spent the past couple months rereading the first two volumes um, to get ready for the third. And I, I, and I, I feel like I always return to Moore's work because they're so dense and they're so rich. And you always, like, you know, you always pick up something new, and that's why I love reading about them. But I also kind of feel like, 
why I'm not I, I'm not feeling it. With, no, with, I with I think this. I mean I think you're absolutely tapping into something that is very present in the work that Alan Moore has done. He he he. he I think mainly his output has been League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and I I think that he has reached a, a point that you know. I, I think it's, it's it's something that really only the great geniuses reach, where the only character left in his work is Alan Moore at this point. You know, like, like, like no, no one in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen really draws you in. And, and there's, there's not even that same sense of fun. I mean, I, I, I remember um, someone once kind of like described this entire League of Extraordinary Gentlemen saga, which again, we, we could spend hours just talking about the million different illusions he has drawn into that world. It's really his version version of Finnegan's Wake. And boy, let me tell you, Finnegan's Wake is a smart book, but it's it's not what anyone would describe as a fun book. You know, it's and and I I sort of feel like even as we're talking and it's it's, it's very fun this whole notion of oh Harry Potter is is the antichrist and all of this. I I guarantee that that concept is interesting and it feels like something you'd love to discuss with Alan Moore over coffee or perhaps opium if if, if that's kind of his <laughs> his his preference. But I I I do feel very much that um, what's what's been a little bit lost in the in the last few league comics is any sense of his work as something that is thrilling, as, as something that really narratively draws you in. Which and actually, it, it, it may be worthwhile. We'll have to revisit this once we have gotten a chance to read it. And again, it's supposedly coming out in July. I I, I sort of wonder if there's almost going to be this interesting contrast where before Watchmen as a sort of collective whole will be less intelligent but more fun and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen will be incredibly intelligent and anti-fun. <laughs> right, right. Like, like, but, l- l- I mean, but what, what, the, the promise of this third uh, uh, installment in Century kind of like offers the promise of some kind of um, point or, or, or coherence um, uh, uh, to, to to the whole thing, and uh, this idea that perhaps um, Alan Moore has been using these three books to mount some kind of like uh, subversive cultural critique of, of 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 contemporary entertainment and and the state of 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 the current you know public imagination um, and the commercialization and exploitation and the the the, the you know the dryness all of, those all those of, all, all those all those, I, all those fun topics that, that you know you you love talking about around the Jensen family dinner table I, I would imagine and my Jeff. children they, they they love this stuff <laughs> um, and it's um it's important to note that I I would consider uh, the the irony of all of that and and so and that's why it's really important that we should actually read the book and see what he actually does with it, which is that um, Harry Potter now stands to us as, as, as just another brand that is franchised. Once upon a time, it was an incredibly original work by an ambitious, creative person that I respect as much as Alan Moore, who took a chance on creating a creative world and telling a huge, meaningful story um, that was very richly realized and knocked it out of the park. So um, I kind of feel like it'll be interesting to see how this Harry Potter is, is, is this, this Antichrist Harry Potter is, is, is represented. Um, like one final thought on Alan Moore for me, if I can, which is that like, I'm really looking forward then to kind of seeing where he lands with this third book, and I, I, and I will read anything that Alan Moore does, and I, I, I will take his, his critique 
of culture or his entertainments um, uh, 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 seriously and be grateful for them. Uh, I, I wish I miss the Alan Moore that 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 produced on a monthly basis. I, I missed the Alan Moore that wasn't that that was producing the bold culture that he so much that, that he wants. Uh, and, and I wish I we had a little bit less of the Alan Moore that was just complaining about the culture that we have. I, I, I think that uh, we can all definitely agree on that, Jeff. As, as much fun as it is to have Alan Moore as this sort of curious, magical hermit who every now and then seems to just kind of throw writing up out of a, uh, out of a uh, you, know, you know, cave somewhere in the uh, Lovecraftian and, uh, you know, Arctic circle. There is a sense that, I mean, boy, I, I remember I was still a teenager when he was working on America's Best Comics and producing so much just pure kind of writing content all at once. And uh, it does feel like, you know, as as much as I'm sure he slaves over every individual panel of every issue of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen now, it, it does seem like wait, waiting a full year to be, you know, sort of passively interested in the, you know, intellectual philosophical arguments and not that interested in the story itself is maybe a little bit too long, but... We will have to actually read the book. Speaking of a little bit too long, Jeff, we've managed to go for almost an hour here talking about one series that we've read 0.1% of and one comic book that we've read 0% of. So I think think we've just about reached the end of of this week's podcast. Do you you have any final thoughts about Before Watchmen or about the the curiosity that is Alan Moore? (laughs) Nope. Uh, I, uh, I I look forward to to to, to reading more of Before Watchmen and and reading all of uh, of this new issue of uh, Volume Three of Century, and I think we should like give it some kind of five minute postmortem when we're actually kind of. Uh um, uh, fully knowledgeable and, uh, and and fully loaded with... with I agree with everything except for the time limit, so listeners start getting excited for our 50-hour-long postmortem of, of Before Watchmen and uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Century Part 3 2009, uh, coming to you probably in, in late July as soon as Jeff and I uh, stop doing any other work whatsoever. Um, that brings us to the end of this episode of Entertainment Geekly. Uh, as always, I'm Darren Franich. I'm Jeff Jensen. See you all next week. 